Welcome to Making Comics, the podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders and Melisande for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I'm the managing partner of Invader Comics and the writer of both Kadoja and Three Protectors. And today we have a special guest, so it is actually from three different perspectives today. Uh, e. Bronson, Ed Brown, he is the writer on Second Shift and Wanders of Melisande. Uh, those are the two titles that I do, amongst other things. Ed, what else you got going on? I am also editing on the Witch's Fire Saga, written by Brian Shrout. And previously I was doing some other things on The Naked Eye and Warhausen, acting as editor on both of those titles. Very nice. Make sure you project a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I will. You're, you're yeah, back. Yeah. You, dude, you, you went jazz you like, DJ again. Yeah, yeah. you like, like when you're talking about random shit, your volume's here. Got but then it. when you start doing this, you go like, okay, well, I'm in the library. It's like the thing can't even register you doing it. Gotcha. So, yeah, yeah. Speak the just, fuck just, up. Just like we're just having a conversation. That's all it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So uh, I am the host today, and that means Keith, kick it off. What's, uh, oh, what's one of the... <laughs> <laughs> what is the prominent thing that you did this week? Well, fuck. I actually have to go first. This is rough. This is rough. Uh, can, can we set this up a little bit? Yeah. We're all in the same room. That 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 much should be obvious. We're all kicking it in, in Scott's uh, uh, San Diego estate. And, uh, and so we, the things that have led up to here are that we just knocked back some delicious Lolita's. Mm-hmm. Which was very helpful for me to soak up the alcohol that we had had before that. Which was from Society. Because uh, Scott and I uh, had two goblets of the Madam, a wonderful golden ale. Ed had one. And uh, we then were able to kind of mathematically arrive at the fact that two was the magic number. Right. Yeah. Because our brains told us so and our mouths told us so. <laughs> That's how we figured it out. We're like, exactly. <laughs> we are buzzed. We probably need to yeah. go get some food. So yeah. we uh, got a, a Lolita's very close by, less than a mile. Knocked that out. Brought it back to my place. Had some burritos, had a, a little bit of beer. We're trying. It is a Coronado Brewing Company Early Bird. It is a Nola stout, excuse me, a Nola style milk stout brewed with chicory, uh, bird rock coffee, and lactose. So if you are a listener of the pod, you know that we love lactose in our beer. And uh, Ed, you wanted to try the lactose. Yes, I How did. did. First time, long time. I've been wanting to try this lactose beer for quite some time, and it is delicious and nutritious and you love coffee so ed is a huge fan of coffee so this was definitely right up his alley i gotta say this beer's weird it tastes like coffee yes right it just tastes like coffee it's super light right like it looks like it would be thicker but it's just very light and flavorful it's weird because it tastes like coffee it's (laughs) it's not it's not a beer that tastes like coffee it is coffee Right, like you might as well have just gotten like a Starbucks bottle at the convenience store and poured it into here. I can't taste the goddamn difference. But it's not bitter, like you think coffee might taste right. in a beer. Yeah, yeah, I mean, actually, you're right. You're right, because I, I take cream and sugar in my coffee. Coffee regular. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's just, it's interesting. It is light. It is light, which is, uh, which is really interesting that they sort of what are the mix numbers on all this, of those on things in to create such a, a light beer that feels like coffee what's the percent on that thing uh 5.5 so it is so okay so that goes with the lightness of it um it's not too heavy it's not like a a traditional stout where it's i don't know almost syrupy in a way like the thickness of it yeah um this this, the taste is very thin um i think that's more of what i'm talking about yeah no you you make a good point most stouts 
pour like like Hershey syrup. syrup. Yes. yes. Where this almost pours like a, a soda. Right. right. It mm -hmm. has that it has that lighter about the carbonation. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. really smell the coffee. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, you definitely do. So yeah, I'm trying to stall because I, I, I gotta go first. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will go first. And so so the first um, big thing, I only really have two things this week. Um, but but for me the first the first thing was that my buddy uh, Martin Vavra last weekend came down and filmed some videos as we've talked about for the Kickstarter for Three Protectors that's going to be launching sometime in March. So in terms of when Three Protectors will be available to be um, ordered through previews, I expect that that'll be in the March previews. You know, we've already submitted that book in the past. There's a big lead time when you go through Diamond. And now we're just waiting. So Three Protectors will uh, be in, in Diamond in previews that month. And then we will launch the Kickstarter accordingly. And so um, Martin was over and... You know, his, his thing was, yeah, let's let's do some filming. Let's get you, like, professional. You know, Martin does, he does movies, he does TV commercials, he does all kinds of stuff. I mean, he's got, like, real high-quality um, equipment to do all this on. And so I, I, I worked on some scripts and things, and, and we filmed, basically, the, the standard Kickstarter video, which is going to be a minute and a half, something like that. And that took a while because that was, you know, film a little bit, and then speak it through, right? Like, like none of this stuff, sometimes when you do Kickstarter videos, they can be very scripted. And, uh, for the last one I did for Kadoja volume three, I was essentially reading from a script. I had taped a piece of paper kind of on the bottom of the camera <laughs> and I did my best to make it so that I wasn't reading it. You kind of give yourself some prompts and then you, and then you look, you slightly up into the camera and talk to it. Right. But Martin did his best to say like, look, just memorize it and speak, speak from the dome. Yeah. So we did that, we did a bunch of takes, we did all this stuff, and then we got that video. And then uh, there was also this idea of filming additional content to talk about the inspiration behind Three Protectors or some other things that we're going to run throughout the course of the Kickstarter. And then I'll put them up on the, um, the Keith R. Foster website as well. So yeah, we did all that. I mean, it was, it was pretty wild, right? Like, like he, he set up the whole thing in my studio because he was, he was staying with us. And, uh, I mean, he was, he was like standing there with a boom mic, you know, just out of frame of, of the camera <laughs> is the fact that, that Martin is standing there holding a boom mic facing me and, uh, and holding that for the sound, you know, the, the camera's not that far away and we just did a bunch of takes. He was coaching me through it. You know, having that kind of coaching is really helpful where he'd say, do this, do that, get rid of that. You sounded robotic. Yeah, actually I did, I did the absolute first take and then he just, he says, okay. My name is Keith Foster, and I am here to talk about. I'm like, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. So yeah, I, w I was like, okay, I got it, I got it. I'll be, I'll be more fluid, and uh, so then that's what we did. So we filmed those things. I mean, it was, it was the better part of a day of work, you know, when it came to it. Just to, you know, it's crazy how much time goes into what amounts to a few minutes of content. Right. You know, he wanted to do this, and you know, hopefully it'll lead to to a, a very successful Kickstarter and, uh, and get things going from there. So yeah, man, it was fun. It was, um, it was work, but it was very fun work. You know, I had kind of had this belief going in that these extemporaneous pieces are going to be the ones that are most fun, where you just sort of casually talk about influences. And I'm happy to say that I was right because sometimes you're just not sure how well this is going to come off. But when you think about the overall thing that 
you know, you want to speak naturally. Like I was just saying, like if I come off robotic when I'm reading the script, it was good to just let loose a little bit and just have more of like almost a conversational approach to that. And, and your passion will come through when you're talking about your stuff. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So anyway, that that was my big first uh, first big thing. Yeah. So um, if you go back, you can do this right now. You go on Kickstarter.com. You search Second Shift Two ND Shift. Look at the very first Kickstarter I did. It's the same shit you were just talking about. Because I had my sister, who was a uh, videographer for weddings at the time, I had her edit the video. And she goes, you say um a lot. And she's like, I had to edit so much to just put it together. So if you go and you watch, you can do it. You can you can find the very first Kickstarter I ever did, uh, 2ND, Shift, S-H-I-F-T, and watch the video. I am robotic. I there's tons of splices. You can see my image like move um, slightly because um, she's cutting out all the um, she's cutting all of the 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 dead time or whatever. So and that comes with you kind of recording a video you're just not ready for, right? Like like in your mind you're you're not there and you're like, okay, there's a whole script. What's going on with the script? This and that. And you start processing it too much. You overthink it. And it's not natural. It's just like, instead of you thinking, instead of you just saying your name, you're reading your name. So you know your name. You don't need to read your name. But it's just one of those things where you're trying to figure it out and it takes a little bit. So I completely understand it was like a whole day event for something like that. Yeah. yeah. And and, and it goes back to the fact that, you know, I came off wooden in my first take and needed that reminder. I'm someone who acted throughout high school. Mm. I, 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 I've done public speaking. Like this is not the kind of thing where I'm uncomfortable in front of a camera. You still get into that mode because your brain's processing and you want to make sure you're saying all the things that matter and you're saying all the important stuff and you're sticking to your script. But sometimes something like a script can really be your undoing there. Right. We're giving yourself a few prompts to talk to makes it a lot easier, more conversational, more natural, and therefore everybody likes it better. Hey Scott, what did you do before you were Drawing comics? Pro wrestling? Yeah. And what is a big part of pro wrestling? Uh, acting big in public areas. And like... you were so good at your promos. And like you said, it is exactly the same thing. Because I, I felt I'm very good at public speaking. I speak in front of classes. I speak to administrators, to teachers, whatever, every day. And I felt we were both just so worried about getting over, you know, getting making our points and hitting all of our points that we came off as very unnatural right and like you said that robot voice this is our book we are making a kickstarter please read our book thank you so much mm-hmm. yeah 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 exactly exactly yeah you just got to get comfortable with it and if you guys are out there if you're creators and you're gonna make your kickstarter video th- these are great things to take <laughs> to keep in mind when you're doing yours just be natural just think about the things that you have to say have bullet points uh make sure you hit your bullet points but beyond that just speak from the heart speak uh, you know, rhyme off the dome, as we like to say here. It's just uh, speak naturally, and it's going to come off natural, and it's going to come off way better. And I think it gets your point across as far as I love my book or my project or whatever, and I, and I feel like you're going to love it too. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so my big thing for this week, um, I have essentially three things. Uh, the biggest thing is I've been doing traditional inking. I had to. Oh, actually, this is a twofer. I had uh, three things, but this actually makes it two for one. Mm -hmm. So I started doing the Mermaid Commission that I've been working on a while. I started the traditional inking for it, and I finished it. Um, It was just 
Man, if you haven't done traditional artwork in a while <laughs> and switch from digital to tradi traditional, it is a it's interesting because it's it's definitely different. But the one thing that I have noticed, um, because not only did I do the mermaid commission, I I finished it, knocked it out, I I flatted it and sent it to my colorist because uh, the commissioner also that that's something I offer. It's like a two for one deal. It's like uh, in a way. Um, so I'll do the the piece and I'll say, hey, if you want this colored. I can send this to my colors for X amount of dollars, right? So that happens. So I have to do the flatting on it as well. So I send that over. But the, the thing I noticed from doing that, and then I started the covers for uh, Second Shift 12 and then the um, interior cover for Second Shift 10. And it's essentially a silhouette of the taxidermist and a wolf and a monkey. And uh, so I started off with that uh, after, after the mermaid. And you get in kind of like a groove, much like anything. Like when you first start writing, maybe it's a little rough. And then after like 30 to 40 minutes, you warmed up and writing comes a little bit easier. Same thing with uh, inking traditionally. So you kind of got to warm up a little bit. Maybe that's why artists do warm up sketches because it's something they're not, they don't have to worry about. If they fuck up on the sketch, it's just a sketch. It's not a big deal, right? So um, since I don't have that, because I work digitally, it's like, oh, I need to warm up on these inks. So, um, you know, doing that and the, the second, the interior cover is a silhouette. So it's like, there's some room for play there. If I fuck up, I just like swoop the line into the silhouette because it's, the interior of the silhouette is going to be all covered in black. So it doesn't matter if I feel my wrist going to the right and I make a, a weird line. It's not going to matter. It's getting covered up anyway. So um, by the time I do the first two pieces, the mermaid and the silhouette, I start inking the coverage 12. And I am completely warmed up. My arm movement, the, the sweeps of the brush of the pen, uh, it's just effortless. So it's coming along a lot easy. I think I'm, I wouldn't say I'm quite 50% done, maybe like 35% done on that cover inking wise. But honestly, it's a lot of broken glass. So there's a lot of straight lines there. It's not a lot of thinking. It's not a lot of brush control. It's just like, oh, the line starts there and it stops there. You kind of want to have a gradual fade with your pin. You want it to have a end in a point instead of a flat nub. But beyond that, this cover is very easy to ink. But I'm also in the groove from doing two pieces prior to that. So uh, it's it's been really fun to get back to traditional. And kind of a weird side note, people on social media prefer to see traditional. That's just what I'm seeing in the numbers. Interesting. Yeah. So I can, I can post a completed cover um, that's digitally done. And then I can post it, post it colored uh, by Joaquin, like perfectly done. It will not get as much... Uh, likes as me uh, posting something halfway done with my my finger and my hand showing the pen in the screen. Wow, that will get me interesting. Yeah, it's it's quite bizarre, but there's something about seeing the process like behind the scenes, right? Right, is it more intriguing to the fan, so or just the random person in the room? So I don't or think that's looking. bizarre at all. I mean, I think it would be the equivalent of watching a cooking show. And just having them take some shit out of the oven. Like that's, or, or here, here's my final dish. Here's how I made it. Right. That's, that's not why we watch cooking shows. Yep. Mm. And I would make the argument that for artists, look, that, that's not why I watch artists. So it makes a lot of sense to me okay. that, 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 that would get more, um, you know, traction. I do have one question for you when it comes to 
warming up. What percent of the warm up is physical, moving my fingers, moving my muscles, etc., and what part of it is mental? What percentage is like physical versus mental? Oh man, that's tough because uh, I guess it would be mostly physical. Mostly, you have to see. It's it's I get I don't know. It's it's a little hard to explain. It's like how steady your hand is, and how much in control your brain function is that day. Like so, like. I want to move my hand this way. And if your brain to your hand does exactly what you want it to do, then you're probably good. You're going to take some practice swings and you're going to make sure your stroke is good. Mm-hmm. So like where your beginning line to your, your fade um, is, is solid and it's doing exactly what you want to do. You don't want to start a cover on the face with your very first swing <laughs> at bat. <laughs> like it's like you fuck the face up. This is done. We need to do this whole thing over. So whether it be you working traditional pencils and then going uh, inks right after, then you fuck the face up, or you've taken the time to work digitally, go get it printed out in blue line, and then you start digital, or then you start traditional inks and you fuck the face up. Mm-hmm. Either way, it's fucked. So you're gonna have to start over. So you definitely want to practice. Like when I start inking, I look for the easiest thing to ink on the page. So, um, and you'll see it on my Instagram, um, the last few posts is all traditional work. You'll see that my inks are all over the place. So ideally what you want to do is you want to stop, start, uh, if you're right-handed, if you're right-handed, you're going to start at the top left of the page and go downward. That way your hand, your right hand is not smudging any of the ink that you just put down. This is a problem. So, <laughs> but I do not work that way. My brain is like, what's the easiest thing to, to, to ink? That way, I if I fuck this up, it's like, you shouldn't be doing this. Because it's the easiest thing to ink, right? It's a good barometer as to how you're working that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I find that I need at least three or four brush strokes to find out where I am. And then after that, I'm a little more confident. I'll start tackling a little more difficult things. And then if I feel like, okay, I'm good today then I'll hop to the faces. And that's something uh, Adam Hughes does. Adam Hughes always starts with the faces because if you fuck the face, then the whole piece is done. So why work on everything? And Keith's laughing because I said, fuck the face. But if you mess, the, hide it? Yeah. If you mess the face up, the whole piece is screwed. So if you took the whole day to work on the entire body and the surroundings, the backgrounds, and then you go to the face and you blow it, then it's just like, what did I just waste my entire day? So why not start where you need to start? So I, I followed the same rule after I heard him say that. I'm like, yeah, of course, that makes the most sense. And honestly, I did it before then also. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like, yeah, okay. I just, it's nice to hear that a professional can back your process by telling you his process. Like, that's how I do it. Mm-hmm. And you feel validated. So um, I think that answered your question. I yeah. have a couple of beers in me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Do any of you guys want to partake in this? I do. Okay. I do. And we can we can hear what Ed did this week. So we're going into, uh, before Ed starts, this is a Belching Beaver Brewery. This is San Diego local. SD Besties Neapolitan Imperial Milk Stout. Mm. And this is an 8.5. So I'm pretty excited about this. Neapolitan? Does mm. that mean it's like the three flavors in Neapolitan ice cream? Sounds. Let's hope so. Wow. Well, that looks really thick. Just how I look, my ladies. Wow. Okay, so this week uh, I had corresponded with Scott regarding our letters page. I got the thumbs up that the letters page looks good. The coming attractions look good. 
And I am done with that. So while Scott is still working on the second shift, 10 and 12, simultaneously, I have moved over to Wanderers of Melisande, and I have my loose script for issue three. And I actually, this morning, literally while we got through our uh, coffee this morning, Keith and I, when we met up this morning to have coffee and do some writing, I worked on some scripting some pages. And I got through, I think, page 10. So that was my comic work for the week. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I need to, because uh, you sent me a couple of updates to files for Wanderers 3. Yep. But at that point, I think I already laid all the thumbnails out. So yep. what I need to do is send you the thumbnails, and then we can go from there just to make sure those line up. Uh, line up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's uh, Wanderers 3 is past due. Honestly, I should have worked at, on that in 2001, but it was just like finishing up second shift 10 and then starting second shift 12, like that kind of ate up a lot of the year. Right. And, um, uh, but it's okay. Uh, you know, in that time, I still had time to do the thumbnails. And so I've already contacted the backers of the guest appearances. So okay. that was the thing I was mostly concerned for. Like, more or less, we're on our own schedules when it comes to these comic books, but... Independent comics! Yeah, but Wanderers, uh, I did run a Kickstarter for issue two, and one of the tiers was guest appearances, and that is past due. And so that's, I hate being past due on anything. I like, I like people to know that when you back my projects, you're getting exactly what you paid for, when you paid for it, all of those things. So unfortunately, the guest spot tier was just pushed back a little bit, but I've contacted, um, there was only two people mm -hmm. that, that were for that tier. One of them already sent their photos of themselves and their animals. Oh, cool. So this particular tier uh, was for you get a guest appearance, as does your pet. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I already got one of those back and I'm waiting on the other guy. The other guy when I, uh, so with that tier, you also get a free sketch or a sketch included with your rewards. Right. So when I sent the physical rewards out to him, I was like, Hey man, I need to get a picture of your dog so I can draw your dog and send it over to you. Right. Yes. So I did. So he responded to that, but as of right now, I'm still waiting for shots of him so I can draw him in the comic book with his dog. Um, so he hasn't responded. It's been three days at this point. So hopefully, uh, you know, he'll email, email it over and, and we'll get that all ready to go. Because I'm already working on the pages where they're going to appear. It actually happens, as you know, Ed, it happens pretty early on in the issue. Um, so it's just like, all right, double page spread. They're going to be on that and they're going to be on the next page. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, yo, man, send me those photos so we can get this done. For one, I'll feel better because you're going to get what you paid for. You are going to feel better because you know you're going to be in the book. Mm -hmm. And um, We'll all feel better. We'll all feel better. Uh, all right, yeah, so that, that gets us to my second thing. It sounds like you have one more thing because you double-dipped on the first one, right? So for me, the second thing I did is that I edited the first 20 pages of my novel and sent them off to my mentor. Wow. I've mentioned this before, that I did sign up for some additional work with my mentor, who's an instructor I took. Just a huge amount. Basically, my entire UCLA writing degree came through him with the exception of one class. So he's the person that I consult with when it comes to these kind of things. And, uh, you know, again, I, I said, Leah, let's sign up for a little bit more. I can get basically up to about 100 pages of this novel workshop through him if that's what I want to do. Now, ideally, Ralphie gets an A++++ on his assignment. <laughs> 
And he comes back and says, this is publishable. I can't wait to help you find agents. Of course, we all know that that's not going to be the case. But, I uh, is smart. Yeah, yeah. But I am... So, so we're kind of in this in-between phase where the time between when I record this and when it's probably live is roughly how much it'll take for him to read it and give comments and probably set up a meeting. So, I mean, I'm excited. It's nervous sighted, you know, to quote whatever. I think my little pony had something like that. You know, <laughs> my, my, my kid said it and it turned out it was from my little pony. Interesting. Um, a year ago, this time was when I was truly excited because I was sending off my first hundred pages to the, the, the read, the editor read that I had gotten through UCLA. And of course that came, that was the infamous, dun, you know, dun, dun, dun. no Vaseline criticism that I got that came back in March. <laughs> Again, right, accurate about 60% of the time, but presented too harshly 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. uh, but you take the lessons where the lessons exist. So I took the lessons and now we're an additional draft in and I am cautiously optimistic. So I, I'm in a more uh, humble place than I was a year ago when I thought this guy's going to come back and say it's the bomb. Right. And hopefully we'll see. We'll see. So again, I'm nervous, but uh, I, I feel good. I mean, it's just... It, this is something we can all relate to. You get to a certain point where you're like, yeah, yeah I feel good. Right. You know, like I don't, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm not, I'm not going to walk around and say that I'm, you know, Jesus or anything, but, uh, <laughs> you, you, you feel good. Who does that? <laughs> Only one person. Only one person. Yeah. Um, so I, I do, I, I feel good. I feel cautiously optimistic about it. And here's hoping that the notes come back and, echo the space that I want to be in, which is basically do a little work and you're ready to go. That's, right. that's my dream scenario. If anything falls uh, a little lower than that, well, I guess I have more work to do than I thought, but keeping my fingers crossed and I know, I know I've done the work we're going on. My four year anniversary of start of this novel was basically last week. So I've been working on this thing for four years. I think it's getting close. We'll see what the expert says. So nice. Yeah. How, how does that saying go? The process of waiting is harder than the process of doing, right? Or playing, or makes I think sense that's to what me. it is, right? Yeah. Because when you're doing something, you're in the moment, and you're creating it, and you're excited about it, but then when you're waiting for feedback from readers, or an editor in this case, you're, you're waiting. You're waiting for someone else to either, like you said, have a thing where you're like, you're ready, you're, let's go, let's go out the door, or uh, back to the drawing board. Yep. Yep, and this this echoes a conversation that we we've had over this last hour, kind of leading up to this, in in a different way. The hardest thing is to actually put your work out there to people that you know aren't going to be yes men for you. Yeah, we can all put this shit out to our friends and our family, and they're going to be like, "Oh my god, right? You're you did the, it! You're the greatest creator ever." But at some point, everybody has to walk beyond that and see like, okay, well, now once I walk outside of the Shire, what does this look like? Right. And, you know, obviously, I've been doing this for four years. It's it's why I feel pretty good about it. My novel workshop group has dissected this over and over, and the feedback has been strong. The feedback was strong even before I got those notes, you know, 10 months ago. But, you know, you 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 take each additional step and you go from there. And, and that's, that's how you build confidence, too. You... You take the you take the work you've done, you put it out there, and you see what the notes are, and then you realize that you get good notes back, and that builds your confidence for the next time, and it builds your skill set for the next time. So, right. we will see. Yeah, I, I'm feeling that same way, and I was talking to you guys before we started recording, was 
just art-wise, I feel confident in what I'm doing, and it's just a matter of putting it out there and seeing how people react to it. I showed you guys a couple of things that I've been doing as far as working the uh, sound effects uh, from lettering into the books themselves, kind of in the, in the same vein as Daniel Warren Johnson does it, but I'm doing it a little bit differently. Um, incorporating your lettering into the art itself, making it one piece as opposed to uh, something that's laid over the top and it feeling outside of the art itself. It's its own thing. It's like, I don't, I don't want that. I want the whole comic to feel like one piece. And so um, I showed you guys and it had positive reviews oh, yeah. um, as to what I'm doing. And I feel like the more I do this, uh, like the better it's going to translate and so for me personally, as a creator, I feel like I've taken this leap and uh, incorporated this new thing into my work and it, and it makes it all better for it. Um, secondly, this beer is fantastic. Yeah. This, uh, the SD Besties <laughs> by awesome. Belching Beaver is so much better than the Coronado yes. uh, Brewing Company's Early Bird. I do like this. It's This is a little bit thicker. This is more in accordance to what we know as a stout. And this is a Neapolitan Imperial Milk Stout. And uh, if you're a longtime listener of the pod, we love milk stouts. So, yeah, this is this is falling in line quite good. I agree. I, I was trying to think of the right place to interrupt and mention that. And yes. that's Harland? No, this no, is, is Belching Beaver, Belgian Beaver, Beaver and Coronado. Okay. Oh, that's, that's, that's why that's it's a, a besties that's thing. Right. That's yeah, right. that's right. Yeah. Yeah, good shit. Yes, quite good. Quite good. Ed, what else do you get into this week? Lots of trouble drinking this beer. Um, I think that was it for me. I mean, other than doing a lot of reading and, and listening to things for, you know, to kind of get my headspace into a, a creative mood so I could attack those uh, dialogue pages. Those are the things I did. What did you read to get into the mood? So I actually went back and uh, one of the podcasts that I, I know Scott and I listen to or, or I don't know, they're just they're on YouTube and whatever. uh Cartoonist Cave Fabe had a John Romita Jr. Oh, yeah. shoot interview. Just listen to that. And I, and I really and I really dig him. And I have in my uh, side the side table where you know I put my stuff at night. My night, my end table, night table, whatever you call it. I've got the issues of Man Without Fear. So I went back and I looked at those, and it was cool because I was able to kind of follow along with this conversation of him and Frank Miller talking about that book. And I forgot how much I liked that book. Those those five issues. So. I was like, okay, this is fun. I really, I really dig this. So that yeah, was something. Yeah. Fun. P.S. Screw you, because that was one of those books that I had looked to get in my eBay escapades, and now I pretty much have to get it because I'm going to be paranoid about waiting <laughs> until this episode drops for me. <laughs> oh to no! Get it. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. You, oh no! You, you golden age daredevil people can't can't stop me. Oh my god! I'm getting screwed every morning. I, so I have an eBay notification when the books I'm looking for come in. They're like, hey, just so you know. Uh, Golden Age Daredevil. This is what's new, and I'm all, oh, they have this. I click on it. Oh, you missed out. Some already bought it. I was like, God damn it! Like everyone's listening to this podcast and stealing my books. The making exactly. comics effect. Yeah, it's a uh, you know, exactly. it's it's kind of shitty. It's like, man, I, I can't find these books anymore. It's like everyone's buying them up. It's like, why do you guys give a shit about these books? All of a sudden, no one gave a shit before, you know, like before I started talking about it. Yeah. What you I'm know? what I'm hopeful is that when you know, everything gets back to normal and cons are going full time is that, you know, at the tables, fans are going to come up and 
Hey, we really heard you like Golden Age Daredevil. Here you go. Here's a oh, copy God. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Hooray! Yeah. <laughs> well, only if we uh, get popular enough for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, and the next thing we're really moving on to is I'm I'm a big fan of Arion, Lord of Atlantis. Wow. Which um which is really, really cheap right now. Shh. And something you can find. Actually, I just made that up. I'm not into it. <laughs> but no, by by all means, if anyone see if anyone hits skip over that thirty seconds, they're gonna be like, "I'm gonna get into Arion Lord a bit." <laughs> but I'm probably speaking this into existence. Red hair because I, I feel like no. No comic is less likely to become a movie than Arion Lord of Atlantis because it's a DC property and they got Aquaman. Arak, Sword of Thunder. Yeah. Or no, Son of Thunder. Yeah. Arak, Son of Thunder. Yeah. Arion. Now I probably have to go up, go buy up the Arion because yes. I spoke it into existence. <laughs> but that's another story. Um, my second thing actually is something we've touched on already. It's uh, Wanderers 3 is what started. So, you know, Ed already talked about he started on the scripting of that. And I started on the uh, the drawing of it with the the backers. So I actually took care of my second thing already. Oh yeah. Um, well, that's actually your third thing. Oh, my yeah. third thing. Oh, yeah. did I just repeat myself? You no, already, no, you piggyback. You already went. You I was had... pointing to you so that you could kick off our primary. Got topic. it. Yeah. I've been drinking. That was the primary topic point. Kick out the jam. That's right. So ignore all of that because we've been drinking. I may or may not edit it out just for comedy. I don't sake. think you should because we've been drinking. Um, <laughs> so today's topic it's inspirations, making sure they inspire and not overtake. So this is something uh, that has been in the back burner of my mind. Uh, I talked to my buddy Death, who is uh, one of the accidental aliens, and this is this is something he mentioned to me, and it's just something I've been thinking about. Um, something I'm really interested in doing is watching a lot of YouTube videos, watching tutorials and whatnot, listen or reading uh, uh, interviews from artists on their process and whatnot, and. At Comic-Con Revolution, me and Death had a conversation about about those things. And he said that he doesn't like doing them because he feels like when he watches people draw, it influences how he draws. And, and I totally understand that and I get that and makes sense to me. But also, you can't let that hinder your growth as an artist. To, to watch these tutorials, it's not to see, for me specifically, it's not how it's not how they do it, but the process of how they do it. So it might be it might be exactly how they do it. It's like, oh, I see how they did it, but it's also an application to your process. Like how are you doing it? How can you figure that out in accordance to how you work, right? So for for you as writers, it, it's a much a different process. So for for me, I like watching tutorials because I want to understand s things that I don't understand. Like I'm, I didn't take medical school. I don't know anatomy. You know, I like like a doctor would or something like that. And as an artist, that's something you need to understand. You understand the human anatomy. The the one benefit that I have is I was a pro wrestler for ten years, and one of the big parts of being a pro wrestler is being in shape. Mm -hmm. So you have to constantly work out. You're constantly staring at yourself, staring at your muscles, how they work, how they look, right? So that was my benefit. Um, that was my cheat code, essentially, on drawing better superheroes is because I got to stare at jack dudes for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I am trying to become jacked myself, right? Yeah. So that's, that's the benefit of those things. As a writer, um, what would you guys do as far as like influences like when you guys read something what what's the process of that where where you would potentially get influenced by something and like how do you apply it to your own craft 
So very quickly to piggyback on what you're saying, not only do you have a working idea of the anatomy of the, the human body from wrestling, but you also, for action sequence, for fight sequences, you know how the body moves and works and you're able to kind of capture that and be dynamic with the way you draw things. You know, because you have the experience of being in the ring, but not only that, watching wrestling and seeing wrestlers move. So you're able to bring that into the equation. So that's kind of double dipping into the in the pro wrestling field. So I think that's pretty cool. So reading a lot of a lot of books as as we all want to do, whether it's comic books or, or novels or novellas or whatever it is. I, I love like Ari Howard and, and Edgar Rice Burroughs and, and Tar so Tarzan, Conan, Cole, things like that. But I'm not going to in my writing, I'm not gonna talk about, you know, the iron thews of the Sumerian or whatever, I'm not going to strictly bite that, but I want to capture the flavor of of that for 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 fantasy or for even on our our fight scenes. Like if I send you my scripts in prose, I'm going to write it and and try to incorporate the flavor of that. But I'm not going to strictly bite and be like, oh, okay, so I need to make sure that my writing sounds exactly like this this writer that I really like. Or in terms of comic books, I'm not going to be like, oh, I need to bite from Alan Moore everything or or Frank Miller and make our characters like that because our characters aren't aren't like that our characters aren't Daredevil or Batman or the Watchmen they're they're our characters they're from your they're from your imagination they're from different aspects of your character and I infuse them with my flavor so that's why our our product is something original you know what I mean in the superhero genre so I think like you're talking about the distinction between oh I'm using my inspiration to feed my creativity not just to be like, oh, I need to go under this umbrella and only limit myself or only be influenced by the things that I read or the things that I see. Does that make sense? I mean, it makes sense to me. It's it's not that far off from my thoughts on it. And, you know, some of these, maybe most of these, are things that I've said in bits and pieces in previous podcasts. But I know for me... So let's take Three Protectors, right? I'm I'm in the inspiration mode for three protectors future volumes right now and what i am doing is watching a lot of kung fu mm -hmm. now i'm not going to be any more specific on that because i don't want to get that much more specific on the type of kung fu films i'm watching because that might tip my hand and you know again, i think i think we, the cat's out of the bag on that because we talked about the last three episodes yeah but what i'm saying is you don't know what type of kung fu i'm watching like mm -hmm. I, I not be, the shaw brothers uh, that we no, talked about. We've already oh, okay. moved past Shaw. Okay, okay, already okay. Moved past Shaw. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, because we definitely talked about oh, yeah, yeah, watching yeah, yeah. the, Sorry, I, the Shaw I, sh brothers. I should have mentioned that the next in I'm already on to the next okay, influence. Okay. So so for Shaw Brothers, yes, I'm watching a ton of that. It's fun. It's great. But that's not where I am looking for inspiration, right? And so for me, it's this delineation between inspiration and entertainment. But I also have a weird thing about making sure my entertainment like it doesn't accidentally inspire stuff. I don't want it to inspire either. Like, you know, again, to, to reiterate something I said a few episodes ago, remember how I said on the episode, uh, whenever it was that I'm not reading any current horror because right. I'm writing horror. Right. So I did a typical Keith after that. I, after recording that, I'm not kidding. A day or two later, I was, harder. I, I was, well, here's what happened. I was reading an article by some agents and how those agents were talking about, for you to pitch agents, you have to understand what's popping in your genre. 
So then I didn't want to do this, but I was like, well, maybe I should read some current horror so I can have uh, accurate comparisons to actually give agents when it's time to pitch my book. Stay current. So I picked a book and I'm like, okay, I'm going to read this. I got 50 pages in and I was like, this is a fucking mistake because I did exactly what I said I, I was going to do on the podcast. Right. I, it, it came a little too close ethereally, like big picture to some mm. of the stuff I'm writing. It had nothing to do with it, but it was close enough because it had this plot element mm. that if you really reduced it to its basic elements was, you know, like let's use the three macros thing, right? Like if you, if you reduce that element to the three macros, of, you know, what is it, blood, fat, and sugar, mm-hmm. then, then yes, it was similar. It hadn't, it wasn't similar though. But the point is, I started thinking about it. In your it. headspace, that's what it was. And I was just like, no, fuck this. This is getting too close. This is just like my thing. And it's like, <laughs> it's not just like my thing, but it's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. And then it created the exact problem I was talking about. I was reading, hopefully because I could avoid, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm fear reading. You know, I'm fear reading because I'm like, if this is too much like my book, I'm going to fucking lose it. Right. You know, like that kind of thing. Right. So I was like, what am I doing? I got to get rid of this. Screw this shit. You this know, is, like this is where I wish sometimes this your guys podcast was a visual medium because if the fans could see you gesticulating <laughs> how how much you're stressing about this and holding your hands to your head. I'm yeah. stressing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Man. It was because it was it was that way. And I was like, screw this. I'm just I'm just dropping the screw this idea. I got to get rid of it. And no one. Well, I hope not. But creators, I hope they don't want to be derivative. Yeah. You want to get your own original stuff out there and you yeah. want people to enjoy it. Yeah. There's this great line. I, I, I don't think I've mentioned this on the podcast. I got access back in Philly, way back in the day, to the singer-songwriter hour with Chris Cornell, the wow. late, great Chris Cornell. And he was obviously well into his solo career. And he was just doing your typical, like, inside the musician studio stuff. He played a couple songs, opened it up for questions, played a couple more songs, did that. Cool. Amazing time. And at one point, he was talking about how when he was writing some of his earlier stuff, he was listening to a lot of pop music, and he wanted to infuse that pop sensibility, but I remember him specifically saying that some Men at Work song came on with a saxophone, and I lived in terror that somehow that motif would end up in one of my songs. So he is absolutely talking about the song, Who Can It Be Now by Men at Work with its recognizable saxophone hook. And he was just, Chris Cornell is sitting there terrified that this thing is going to enter his psyche consciously or unconsciously. So, So to that point, when it comes to inspiration for me, what I try to do is I try to focus it. Um, if, you know, if, if I, if I decide tomorrow that I want the next Kadoja soundtrack to be country, I'm not, but let's just walk that down the, the path a little bit. Then I'm going to start listening to country. Mm-hmm. because, And I'm going to start listening to the type of country that I want to influence Kadoja and figure out a way to hone that inspiration so that it influences what I want. And that again, that goes back to the line I made before where like, I'm reading a fair amount of women's fiction right now because that's what's recommended. That's the natural thing that comes out in the podcast, the shit no one tells you about writing, which I think is amazing. There's nothing wrong with a horror writer cribbing a few ideas here and there from women's fiction, not consciously, but more like, oh, that's a cool idea. I like what they did there. I like the larger picture thing they did. So for me, it's not necessarily, it it is about making sure they don't overtake you, but it's also about 
you even going a step ahead of that upstream, a step upstream and saying, how can I hone this influence of creative things to my advantage so it starts to inform me in like a larger weird way where all of a sudden I pull out an idea. I'm like, oh shit, that's from that thing I saw a month ago, right. three weeks ago, whatever mm -hmm. it is. Yeah, no, that completely makes sense to me. Um, you know, art-wise too, it's it's similar in the sense, so like I'll bring up Daniel Warren Johnson, right? The way he incorporates lettering into his art. It's like I'm doing the same thing, but I'm not doing the same thing. I'm not doing it the way he does it. Like there's everyone, it's like drawing is like a signature is or thumbprint or something like that. It's like, yeah, most of it can be like someone else's, but then you get this little squiggle that makes it your thumbprint. And that's how I feel about my art. It's just like, yeah, I have a very um, mainstream style, but there's certain elements to it that make it kind of my own thing. And that's, and that's what you want to do. You don't want to be overly influenced. So, like, my major influence, obviously, is Jim Lee. And then you have, like, these uh, minor players. Not minor. Uh, but you have these other other artists in there that are also influencing my style in, in one way or another. But, like, at the end of the day, when you take all of these styles and you mesh it up into one thing, it's its own thing. So, uh, something I heard from... I won't say which artist, but an artist put this online and he, and he said, you're not, this is a generalization. It's not directed towards me, but he goes, you're, you guys out there, you guys think you're Jim Lee fans, but you're not Jim Lee fans. You're actually fans of this artist, this artist, this artist, this artist. Cause these are the artists that influenced Jim Lee. Those are who you're really a fan of. And I read that and I was like, fuck you because I've never seen their art on their own. I've seen Jim Lee. I am a fan of him. It doesn't matter who his influences are. I'm a fan of him because of how he put the soup together. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, you take this guy's broth and you take the way the guy just cuts his carrots or whatever. It's like, it's not the same soup. It's yeah. like, I like this guy's shit and that's how it is. So for me, it's just like, yeah, you take some Jim Lee, you take some like Simone DeMaio and Ryan Otley or whatever, and then you get my shit. And, and it's a completely different soup. It's not, you know, one of those guys. It, it's, it's an amalgam and mixed with my own flavor, whatever I'm bringing to the table, right. and then you get my style. Totally. I mean, that's, uh, there's a, I guess I'll go with a couple pop culture references here, which are going to get people drinking, which makes me happy. <laughs> um, and Ed has already heard a version of this, I think, before. But thing number one is, again, so I think, I think that argument is silly. Because, right. you know, again, so time to drink number one. If I'm a fan of Metallica, I'm a fan of Metallica, Okay. If you say Keith, but by being a fan of Metallica, what you're actually a fan of is Diamond Head and Uriah Heep and, um, oh God, who's that band? Shit. Uh, Thin Lizzy, mm -hmm. you know, and Black he'll, Sabbath. He'll line it. Yeah, okay. I mean, I happen to be a fan of those four bands, but that's not why I like Metallica. I don't like Metallica because they're fans of Diamond Head and the new wave of British heavy metal. I, I, I hear those things and they're fine, but it's the fusion that makes mm. them all Metallica. Right. So I, I am in fact a fucking fan of Metallica, you know, like, so yes, to your point, you can't tell me otherwise. Lest we not forget the alcohol that infused Metallica. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Just, um, it just the, those elements together, it makes its own thing. So, um, it, that, and that's, you know, going back to, from the start of this all, don't let your influences be who you are. Don't let it overtake your style. It can be 
part of it. But don't make, make sure that when someone looks at your work and they just go, yeah, this guy's a Jim Lee clone or an Art Adams clone or, or whoever, right? Frank, uh, Frank Quietly, Frank Miller. But, you know, it can be an element of what you're doing, but just make sure it's not your whole thing. And, and the easiest way to do this is be conscious of it. Be aware of it. If you, if you realize that, hey, everything I'm doing is like this artist or this writer, then knock it off. Like, you need to start infusing some of your own sensibilities, your own shit into there, and, uh, you know, incorporate some other things, and then it becomes your your own thing, and you're so, you're not maligned being a clone of this or that, or this person or that person. It's your own stuff. So that's that's huge as far as, far as letting your influences be an influence, but not overtake your style. Which brings us to the second thing that Ed heard on the drive up, right? So I'm going to give Martin Vavra a little shine because this is something Martin and I talked about last weekend. It is the, it is the subtle difference between what George Lucas did with the first Star Wars, which is a fusion of influences, a fusion of influences where you can go back and say, oh, he's fusing space operas with Akira Kurosawa with spaghetti westerns with samurai costumes, and that creates this wonderful new stew that creates a new thing. Versus, again, his argument, which I'm not versed enough in movies to know, is later stage Quentin Tarantino. So his argument about Quentin Tarantino is, there was no original flavor on there. That you can go back through a lot of the later Quentin Tarantino films and basically be like, he wholesale stole that from here. He wholesale stole this from here, and he wholesale stole that from there, and he put it all together, and then everybody said, wow, what a genius you are, because you have basically cut out, you know, pictures from the magazine and all arranged them in a certain way. I'm, I'm not here to say whether that's my opinion or not. I'm not well-versed enough in movies or their history or the multiple influences that that he cribbed from to say that, but a person who knows their movies said it, so that's that's good enough for me to at least pass on of what beware of you know beware of what scott was just saying but but also at the same time as as someone that's not uh aware enough to know that but is isn't that exactly what we're just talking about yeah you're cribbing from all of these different influences and it creates your own tarantino stew Mm -hmm. i'd never seen anyone like tarantino so Mm -hmm. maybe i came across some of those films that they talked about Mm -hmm. and then i didn't see that but when i saw tarantino i'm like this is different Right. Because it is it is a combination of all of his influences to make him who he is. So here, here's what I would say. And I'm not, I don't have the time to go back and invest in this. <laughs> Again, Ed, Ed is like, Keith, you just said all this on the car drive down. There is a difference between synthesizing and simply passing on. So I don't know Tarantino enough to know what he is synthesizing and passing on. But I can give a couple examples of things that are synthesizing, which is Harry Potter, which is synthesized from Neil Gaiman's Books of Magic. You know, I didn't know this thing that Neil, I mean, I knew that Neil Gaiman wrote a comic called Books of Magic way back in the day in Vertigo's early days. What I did not know is that he sued J.K. Rowling because Um. even when Harry Potter first came out, I saw Harry Potter. I was like, wow. This, this reminds me a lot of Books of Magic by oh. Neil Gaiman. So, you know who else thought that? Neil Gaiman thought it, you know? <laughs> and, and it turns out that the lawyer example that I gave, when that lawyer a couple of years ago, when I was having this copyright conversation, he gave me the Harry Potter analogy, which I have repeated on the podcast, 
that may have been when this information all broke because Neil Gaiman thought J.K. Rowling stole it. And the court said, no, no, she, she added enough to her thing where like, yeah, we get the influence, but everything's fine. Mm. And the other example would be Battle Royale versus The Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. The Hunger Games borrows heavily from Battle Royale, but it is not Battle Royale. Right. And that's that subtle difference. Battle so again, Royale with cheese? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino, wow. pull back. We're bringing it all back. We're, dude, we're bringing it all together. We're yeah. bringing it all together. So anyway, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that goes to the main point of synthesis, not pastiche. Right? That's what you want. You want a synthesis of your influences. You don't just want wholesale chunks of that influence so obvious where it's like well that's just the exact same scene from blah 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 right or that's the art from blah 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 that's the same pose which is something you talked about right like you just stole that pose right well you shouldn't steal the pose you should synthesize the pose so mm -hmm. you can take those elements and turn it into something of your own absolutely yep yeah that's the name of the game so um if you're out there and you're that's something you're concerned with you know it, it doesn't hurt to learn more that that's that's my whole thing with this is get as many influences as you can watch as many videos as you can understand more than you know now like like when i was younger one of the things i was always worried about was like drawing from life because it felt like cheating it was like well if i can't come up with it in my own mind then it's cheating well who the fuck told you that little child because <laughs> you're wrong because that's not how it goes because because your little brain doesn't have enough information in it to understand how everything works. So what you need to do is you need to look at uh, life, uh, whether it be models posing for you, people in a subway, people in a uh, Starbucks or something mm -hmm. like that, you know, finding drawings or finding uh, uh, people online, like on Google, Google search people or whatever, in a certain position, and then take a bunch of those images and draw each of those people in those different positions, then you'll have a greater understanding how the leg works, the arms, the chest, whatever. Um, so that, that's something that you need to be wary of. That's something you need to understand. Don't be afraid to learn more. Your, the, the bucket in your head, the mind space, let's say, let's, there's the mind space in your head. Let's, let's use, let's use water, right? So your, your information, your brain, your capacity to learn is how big your bowl is. So do you have a fishbowl head? Do you only do you, <laughs> that's the amount of information that you get. Once that fishbowl is full, then that's it. That's what that's the information that you understand. So how do you make that more? You get a bigger bowl. You don't go, well, this is the bowl I was born with. So this is the amount of information that I'm allowed to have. That's not how it works. You can go buy a bigger bowl. Go go out there Get more information, understand more about the human body, how it moves, about technique, about style. That's something else. Like that's that for me, that's something else that's coming to my to the forefront of my mind beyond page composition and everything else. It's style, right? Like there's plenty of artists out there. They've moved past their style and they've graduated, quote unquote, to this more advanced style where everything looks more realistic now. They have a greater understanding of how the human body works, how the face looks, this and that, how to shade a face. Like there, there's a point where you go too far and you leave your style behind. You and that's chances. A, you're not safe. Well, you're not being safe. You're taking chances on yourself. Right. Well, the thing is, style is you and once you leave it all behind you become like everyone else mm -hmm. like if you learn so much about the human anatomy anatomy that you're just drawing a human 
Okay, what's interesting about that? Are, what are we doing here? Are you trying to draw comics? Because if you're trying to draw comics, that isn't the purpose of what we're doing here. Unless you're Alex Ross or a painter. Photorealistic style. Photorealistic style. Yeah. If that's your whole bag, then of course that's the thing you're striving to. But if you're an artist, uh, a comic book artist, you're hitting monthly deadlines or whatever, you want to stand out on your own. Perfect example, Humberto Ramos. No one draws like Humberto Ramos. When you look at his art, you go, that's Humberto Ramos. And guess what? He hits his deadlines every month. So... Don't be afraid to keep that style. That's what makes you unique to yourself. And and don't let your influences overly influence you. Let them be an influence, but don't let them be your whole thing. Yeah, man. More importantly, if this was the kind of episode where I did like clever titles at the beginning, I've talked about this before, this episode title would absolutely be Don't Be a Fish Bullhead. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's a great title. Um, all right, so I think we've we've wrapped that up. Yeah, I think we've we've tackled that successfully. Keith, what have you bought? Fuck. So, oh no, uh, yeah, fucking fuck. <laughs> yeah, so we're done with the making comics portion of this podcast. So we're going to get into some collecting. And uh, Keith and I have definitely been on a tear, and I think Keith a little bit more than I. <laughs> we're going to get into Keith's idiot, idiot, idiot problems. <laughs> so yeah, I mean I. I was very light on the subject last week when we were talking with Chris. <laughs> but to, to reiterate that a little bit, what I realized is this whole, I buried the lead the whole time. My instincts should be trusted. And what I, what I should really do is instead of waiting around for stuff to get announced, for me to go back and really comb my head and ask myself, what things have you liked over the past 25 years that are not in your collection anymore and get those things. Just trust yourself. Yes, one out of every 15 is going to hit. But first of all, one out of 15 might hit. But A, that one is going to finance the other 14 that you paid for. And mm -hmm. two, all 15 of them are things you liked. So why not just go for it? Of course, yeah. So that's what I've been doing. I went whole ham. And since I have bought almost the entire run right now, I can say what it is. So Moon Knight was something that I grabbed everything of. That was the Bendis Malieve run. Then I went out and grabbed the Lemire run, which I didn't even have the first time, but I love Jeff Lemire. That's I've been talking about him a lot on the podcast, so that's all bought up. And then I started to make my brain work for me. I said, what else have I liked that I don't own anymore? Ah, the Brian Michael Bendis slash Ed Brubaker run of Daredevil, where mm. Daredevil's secret identity gets outed. That shit is a, what, what is that, 70, 80, 90 issues, Ed? So good. I have it. Amazing, so amazing good. run. I had it. I don't have it anymore. I have it now because mm. I went and grabbed it. Yeah, I'm missing a few issues because, unfortunately, issues, uh, uh, the heart, uh, a little bit in the middle of that Bendis run had, a, had an introduction of some character called Echo, which apparently was in a oh, Marvel yeah. series recently. Yeah. You know, so because it was Echo's first appearance, those issues shot through I the I think roof. I have two. Nice. So, right. yeah, no problem. You're more than welcome. No problem. Um, so now it's preserved that. here for posterity, so now I have to give it to you. Now you have to give it to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a contract. Yes. It's a contract. Um, and then, so to that point, that was, that was just the tip of the iceberg. And since then, it's been a lot of those things. Basically, anytime I'm around a comic book shop right now, number one, I'm looking for run fillers on all these things I'm looking for. And number two, I just go to the bins to start flipping through and like prompt my brain. So another one I just bought, which we can get into from the SoCal Comics run today, I just bought Arcadia, 
which is a series, uh, it's a pretty cool little series about how humanity basically leaves their physical forms and everybody gets uploaded into the cloud. Mm. And you kind of have this realm of the cloud that's controlled by a few people, you know, meet people uh, on the ground. So I remember liking that at one point. I just bought it all up. It's a nice. dollar. Go for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Dear world, you want it? Go find it. It's Where's, cheap. Uh, who's that by? Boom. What? Boom. Okay. Early, early boom stuff. And uh, anytime I come across a book like that where I'm like, I did like that, I'm going to grab it. So that's what I've been doing, and uh, but I'm not done. I'm not done. Yeah, because I mean, that's, that's I, definitely smart. I bought. Scott knows this, but Scott was the one who hit me to the fact that uh, George Perez was doing a signing uh, for CGC, and so he told me this a couple weeks ago, and I went ahead and bought an Infinity Gauntlet one to send off and get signed. The damn thing didn't show up, and I have a deadline where I have to get it there two days from when we're recording this. So luckily, SoCal Comics had a copy of that one. They had it in a near mint. I went ahead and bought it again, even though the first one hasn't shown up. Did all that, bought it, dropped it in the mail today, paid it to go overnight, two nights. They said, it's no overnight. <laughs> Under Overnights don't happen on a Sunday. I'm like, I, I know you guys don't deliver on Sundays, right? Like, just get it there on Monday. Yeah. So I like that Carl Malone, they don't deliver on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's all taken care of. And... Uh, I think the wave is coming to an end, but you just never know, man. So, yeah, man, I, I went ham. It has been an absolute bonkers couple weeks. And something tells me you've been in the same place. Uh, yeah, I was for a while. Honestly, I was going a little too crazy when you were doing the Moon Knight run. I caught the fever super quick. It was like fucking this version of COVID. Like, I got it just right away. And uh, uh, I picked up most of the Bendis Maliv run. And I think I'm missing a couple of issues, but um, I think I got the first five. God, I love Alex Malib. Sorry, I yeah. Didn't have to say oh, that. Alex Malib is dope. Yeah, I know. Every once in a while, in our in our comic chat, I'll just like randomly put in Alex Malib Daredevil stuff because I just love his artwork so yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I think I got the first five issues of that series, and then I picked up some. Um, I think it was Bendis. It might have been Finch. Um, so I picked up another run. I don't, I didn't get the first couple, but SoCal had, I think four through 12 or something like that. So I picked those up. So it's just like, okay, now I need to get one through three. Um, and then I, I actually clued you into the Lemire run, um, because it was the most popular Moon Knight run in recent history. And what we learned from the Hawkeye, uh, MCU series is, uh, Marvel is willing to take chances on current series, like not, you know, modern series. So it's like Hawkeye's been around forever, but the run that they decided to go with was the Matt Fraction, the Matt Faction, David Aja or Aja, oh, uh, AJA. It's fantastic. Oh, you so. have that. Shh. Oh, okay. Nice. Do. Very Don't nice. Tell nobody in the projects. <laughs> so well, they um, all know now. Yeah. So it's like they cribbed from that run. So I was like, oh, they're dipping into modern comics. So they're okay with... They're, what they're looking for is the best. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I clued you in on that. I was like, hey, just so you know, this Moon Knight run was highly popular mm -hmm. uh, amongst the iFanboy crowd, which is a, a podcast I love listening to. So if you're into comics, they talk about uh, modern comics on a weekly basis. So um, that's the first time I heard about it. I was like, dude, you might want to check that out. And sure enough, that series is going for quite a pretty penny mm -hmm. so i think they've cribbed off of that uh for this current uh mcu run that's coming up so yeah. uh who the fuck knows but um i don't know i'm i'm somewhere in between if i can get it for a decent price not completely 
killing me, then I'll pick it up. But if not, I'm willing to not chase the dragon. It's like, that's something I've realized is, look, I, I've got three copies of Eternal number one. And I got it after <laughs> it was announced as a movie. And so I bought yeah, each. Dap it up. I bought yeah. two copies of Eternals too. Right. They, so, they've gone down in value since I bought them. Yes. So that's the thing is like, you're, you're taking a gamble. And, yeah. and, and like, my thing was, it's Marvel. It's MCU. They, they haven't missed yet. Right. So, but unfortunately, Eternals was the first movie that's been missed on. Mm-hmm. Like it, going from the large crowd, the everyone, it's not like this got everyone, everyone's into it. It's like, yeah, half of the audience like Eternal and half the audience didn't like Eternal. That's the problem. So it's like, it's a gamble. So at this point, it's just like, okay, well, um, She-Hulk's coming out. And then uh, what's Titania was, you know, uh, Secret Wars, whatever number, right? Three. Like three. I own two. <laughs> so it's just like, okay, do I chase the dragon and try to, you know, make sure I secure that? Or does the episode come out and it's just whatever? Yeah. So at this point, I'm okay with with not chasing the dragon. But if if I do see that run come up, the Lemire run, and it's a decent price, then I'll, then I'll strike. But if I don't get it, I'm not going to be upset about it because I've already been burned three times with the Eternals number exactly. one. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's so. one other thing. Again, we, we all went to SoCal Comics, and I don't think we're really, we really need to share a lot of that. But I will share the highlight of SoCal Comics that I was happy to find, which is another thing dredged up from the depths of my memory, was that Grant Morrison had this really neat run of Galactus it was called Ultimate Galactus. It's collected in the trades Ultimate Galactus 1, 2, and 3. It is awesome. You know, as as the Galactus junkie I am, which, by the way, I even buried that. Keith also pledged a Kickstarter for Marvel Zombies that involved, among other things, a two-foot-tall figure of Galactus. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, because I am, I just, I have Galactus problems, basically. Um, which I mean, I've mentioned as do most worlds do. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> as, well as, done. as I've mentioned before, but like Galactus is the Lovecraftian element of the MCU. Sure. That's what makes it so cool. Jack Kirby had elder gods vibes all over his shit. You know, like if you take all of Jack Kirby's elder God stuff and stack it up to the rest of every comic creator ever made creators ever, ever, ever done. Kirby's more, <laughs> you know, like Kirby had more elder God shit buried in his stuff than anybody else combined. So yeah, I had to back that too, but they had the entire run in the dollar bin of everything oh, oh. that was a part of Grant Morrison's ultimate Galactus trilogy. It spans a bunch of different books with a bunch of different names, but I was happy to at least grab one copy of absolutely everything. They had one copy of everything. There. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. And again, same thing we just talked about, right? 14 out of 15 of these things are going to miss. But they caught me a dollar, cost me a dollar, and I wanted it in the first place. Right. So, yeah, all good. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. That's yeah. for sure. Do you so, have anything? I was just going to say, so the Iron Fist, the Immortal Iron Fist, Matt Fraction, David Aja run, uh, I don't, they kind of bit pieces off of that for the second season of the Netflix Iron Fist series. And it was it was enjoyable. You know what I mean? So they're showing us, like, oh, they're going to go for the modern stuff. So this whole thing with Moon Knight, and the prices, the books are going to go up at least temporarily. Get your books, kids. Mm. Well, okay, but can I go deep cut Iron Fist here? Okay. You know what the Iron Fist nerdery out there is, right? It's that in the the semi crappy Carrie Andrews arc, which I talked about sucking. Remember, like fifty episodes ago, I talked about it, it was the one that sucked. Yes. And uh, <laughs> and Brian Clark, listener of the podcast, was like. 
oh, I actually really like that run. It had this, this, and this. I'm like, maybe I didn't get that a fair shot, or maybe I wanted it to be something it wasn't. So I, I slowly tried to crib that back, but that has actually gone up. And one of the reasons is because they introduce, I think it's Pyme or Pyme. 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 The White Crane. Yeah. So she ends up wielding the power of Iron Fist late in that arc. Hmm. So that is like the scuttlebutt. It's a gamble, right? All this shit is a gamble. Just like stocks are a gamble and just like everything is a gamble. Right. Um, so anyway, you, you can go a bunch of different ways. But to your point, Ed, that Matt Fraction run is like flawless. Yeah. Tw- tw- 27 issues... It's in dollar Plus, bins think, everywhere. Yeah, so it's like the twenty-seven issues, and then it's like the uh, seven. What is it? The seven elders, or mm-hmm. whatever that whole thing they yeah. each had. Kind of it was like a the limited series. Seven afterwards. cities of heaven, or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. And then they did the yeah, exactly. That whole thing was amazing. So yeah, a worthwhile a worthwhile purchase, and you can find those books super cheap right now. Nice. Hell yeah. All right, well, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode of Making Comics. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, make sure you hit up Making Comics Podcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions about uh, what we talked about here today, whether it be how we make comics and influences and whatnot, or what comic books we're collecting and what we should be collecting, uh, go ahead and email us at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and if you want to give us a five-star review, and you know, who doesn't, go to Apple Podcasts and do that. Give us five stars. That's great. What's even greater is if you throw some words on top of that as well. Again, I can't. we can't understate. It really helps. It really helps bring this to a wider audience. Move and, that algorithm. Yeah, yes. Fuck the algorithm, gods. Exactly. <laughs> you, you own them. They don't own you. Yeah, that's right. You tell them what you like. And then we reap the benefits because they are also an algorithm. So yeah. we need the help. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you can find my stuff at, uh, you can find me at Scott Lost, at Scott Lost, S C O T T L O S T, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah, I'm at Keith underscore Invader on Instagram. That is Keith out there doing stuff. And then I also have Kadoja Kaiju, all one word, which is all the Kadoja stuff fit to print on Instagram. I am on Twitter and Instagram at E Bronson, E B U R O N S O N. And usually, if you want to get a hold of me, get a hold of me through Scott, because I'm not really on social media as a presence. But I appreciate all of your questions, comments, and concerns about all of our books. And you can find mine and Ed's book at accidentalaliens.com, Second Ship. A Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans. A thousand years in the future, we start colonizing other planets, come across the planet Melisanda, where the meteor never hit, and dinosaurs of that world survived and evolved. Do two dominant species coexist on one planet? Does that work? Keith, does that work? It never works. It never works. So you can find those books at accidentalaliens.com. Yeah, and then for me, you can just go to KeithRFoster.com. There's a landing page there with some neat graphics. I have a page up for Kadoja. I have a page up for Three Protectors because I actually set it the fuck up. Yes. We are going to build on that as we get closer and closer to launch. Again, I'm really excited about sharing this book with everybody. I think both Ed and Scott have read advanced copies of it. Yes, sir. Feedback was pretty good, mm-hmm. so, uh, so we're ready to roll with this thing. Is uh, Freaks and Gods still rolling right now? Freaks and, uh, Freaks and Gods won't be rolling by the time this okay, airs. So we will cut, we'll cut that. Part. Yeah, actually, no. I take that back. It'll be today only. Today only. So if you want to, if you want to slide in under the wire, 
and back freaks and gods at the last minute. It is going to end a few hours after this episode drops on February 7th. All right, make sure you back that podcast. You guys listen, hopefully, to the episode with Chris on the episode prior to this one. If you didn't, go listen to it now, but make sure you back first and so you don't miss out. And then listen to the episode and you realize, hey, I'm really glad I backed that. All right, thank you guys. See you guys on the next episode. Yay, yay.